Michael here, 360 Digital Closing Bell Podcast. This is our weekly look back, our first one here on this beautiful, I'm recording this on a Thursday afternoon, but you should be listening to this Friday morning on your commute. I am humble and honored to be here hosting this podcast and I'm joined by Stu Turley. He's coming to you live from Dallas. He's the director and publisher of Oil & Gas 360. Stu, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Michael. We had a busy week, didn't we? Oh man, it's a busy week, but I wouldn't want it any other way. Now, uh, we've had great feedback on the digital closing bell. You have been just outstanding. And uh, we've had a bunch of people asking for you to date. You're not dating anybody, are you? No, I am. I'm currently single. Okay, cool. They're, they're asking for your number. So well, there you go. Okay. Yeah, give it away. But no, we got a great, great show for you lined up. I'm just going to overview the week in oil. We're going to check in at the in- inventory levels. Huge demand drop, about 10 million barrels off the market. We're going to check in at our levels, which not the toot my own horn went very well. Um, we're going to reference a really cool article that mentions some of the ducks in North Dakota and some of the break-even prices. I'm always fascinated by actual pricing of some of these oil and gas wells based on production. And then we're going to look at a one company to watch. I won't give that away. You're going to have to tune in for that. Before we get going, I want to get some clerical work out of you. First off, this show is now live on iTunes and Spotify. Please subscribe and give us five stars as a rating. You know, I would love to, if there's a way to verify you actually were the one that gave us a review, I will personally mail you some swag. I will hook that up. I promise you, me and Stu can get on that. But if you subscribe, leave us a five-star review. That would be perfect. You can check us on iTunes and Spotify. This is also available on YouTube, 360 Digital Closing Bell. Follow Entercom at on Twitter. Check out all of our LinkedIn's, Oil and Gas 360, Entercom. You can follow me, Michael Tanner, Stuart Turley. Connect with us on LinkedIn. We have some new videos that we're dropping for the Energy 360 Network that you can check out at www.oilandgas360.com. We just dropped an interview with Bernadette Johnson, and we are dropping in the next couple days an interview with Ascent Energy Ventures, or excuse me, Ascend Energy Ventures, David Forsberg. Two fascinating interviews. I hope you check them out. And with that, I think we're going to go ahead and dive into kind of just the week of oil and what happened. And really, if you're, you know, the best way to, to, to you know, describe it was a ranging day and not to toot my own horn, but on my weekly podcast on Monday, we talked about two levels. One of them was 50, uh, was 23.54 and the other one was 24.73. Those levels really acted as support and resistance. And really what happened was it was a wild week. The U.S. equities did very well this week. And that was because there was a huge injection of uh, positive news that ended up coming to fulfillment today with the passage of the U.S. stimulus. Anywhere between 2 to $4 trillion is about to get ejected into the economy via stimulus. There's actually going to be direct payments of $1,200 for the next three months to eligible earners. That drove E&P equities up 4.72% this week. The problem was we didn't see – the problem was that was just off the back of – um, the, 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 the S&P and the overall market's doing much better than that. The, the S&P 500 was up about 7% on the week. So your EMP equities are still lagging what other things are doing. Then what happened was the reason why this was sort of a ranging market was because it, there was somebody, there was some expected news coming from the S from the SPR. I mentioned this in my digital ticker today, but included in this stimulus package, there was supposed to be the SPR was supposed to buy about 77 million barrels of oil 
and that was supposed to be about three billion dollars so that was supposed to be baked into this coronavirus stimulus fund that they just passed the problem was they wasn't able to get that in that was one of the things that in the negotiations they dropped and it, it, it makes sense from a, a political standpoint but from an oil price standpoint it does not help when all of a sudden there's this stimulus money that's coming in and the oil and, and, and then the u.s government is injecting money and they're not doing anything about oil and, and it just continued to lag that came on top of the fact that pretty much everyone has come out and revised that it's not going to be four to five million barrels that's taken off the market due to this coronavirus it's going to be about 10 and some of the predictions are even at 20 i mean that's it. 10 million barrels per day less is an incredible drop in demand we haven't seen those numbers in in, in i don't know how long and that's really what depressed this market. And, you know, oil's currently trading at $23 right now, but it really ranged in that zone of, uh, of $24, you know, and 70 cents all the way down to about 23, 45. And those were what we would call our point of contact. Crude inventory levels came out on Monday, on Wednesday, excuse me. They come out at uh, 8.30 Mountain Standard Time, you know, 9.30, stand, uh, 9.30 Central Time, 10.30 on the East Coast. They're actually, you know, it's based out of Chicago is where they do a lot of this stuff. So a lot of it's that Central Time. Crude inventory, those levels come out at, a, uh, there was only a, a smaller build than recommended. There was a forecast about 2.9 million, uh, million barrel forecasted build. There was a 2 million barrel build last year. The API came out and had, a, and had some pretty high numbers. But the EIA comes out and they say only about a 1.6 million build. So fairly neutral. And that actually drove markets up a little bit on Wednesday. That's when we touched the top of that 2470 range. And then sort of the rest, you know, it, it kind of fell off from there. And that's when we ended up touching the bottom of that range. But, 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 but in terms of the crude inventory levels, I expect to see that number continue to get bigger and bigger. I don't expect to see any draws anytime soon. That's very clear, especially with a lot of these, um, with Colorado specifically yesterday. Um, not only Denver went under a state uh, citywide, um, stay at home order, but now uh, Governor Jared Polis came out and did the same thing for the entire state. So I don't know, has Texas gone that far or are you, uh, well, what's the status there? Uh, you bet. We've had all the major cities uh, go to uh, stay at home uh, order. We just had uh, Dallas, Houston, uh, Austin, and uh, of the, I believe, 250 counties in uh, Texas, uh, I think only about eight of them are considered bad. So it's, you know, not bad that it's only eight, but they're the eight biggest. Yeah, no, and it's, uh, it's getting bad anyway, you know, and, uh, and so, yeah, so then, that, and that, you know, you know, and that's, you know, good for Texas, but I think around the country, you're seeing a lot, it's been getting it a lot harder. And that's when you're going to see the demand. Natural gas was, 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 was didn't do quite as well on this week. And that's, that, that's going to be really um, interesting to see. So, I mean, really, when you know, the theme of this week of oil was it did not get any help that it was supposed to get. Texas dropped that it might do some cuts. It hasn't actually done that, and we've failed to saw our or we we, we failed to see that three billion or about seventy seven million barrels get filled in the SPR. So we'll be looking for that sort of next week. But 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 I'm going to save that tease that for our Monday podcast. All right, I want to dive into segment two, which is really talking about this. Really, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about is actual, you know break-even points on these wells. I'm always interested in the economics of how, you know, an executive sits down, looks at a piece of paper and decides, I want to drill here or not drill. Before we get into that, I, you know, I want to talk about an awesome project I'm a part of called the Corporate Data Learning Series. This is one of the coolest projects that I've been a part of, and I'm happy to be able to provide a boatload of, a boatload of content for them. I've done some um, presentations with them before, but this one they have coming up is a really an, an awesome one that 
really in their goal is to teach working professionals hard data skills that they can use either in their current position or if they're looking to transition into more of a data focused role. Especially in the oil and gas industry, moving forward, having some sort of hard data skills, especially if you're a younger person, is going to be essential as this transition really happens from an old school, um, you know, Excel based industry into some of the more modern stuff. But what's interesting is they're holding a two-night boot camp on April 8th and 9th specifically to talk about some advanced Excel functionality and then how to utilize that Excel functionality within Microsoft Power BI. Night one's going to focus on advanced Excel and it's hosted by my good friend Connor McCall. And really what he's going to talk about is some corporate data processing techniques that large corporations are using in Excel right now that honestly the majority of people don't know. He, he He's putting together the content right now and I was fascinated to take a look at it and really see what exactly he was doing. And there's some really interesting things that and functionalities within Excel that I don't think a lot of people utilize and would find really interesting. Then what, what happens is the next night, my good friend from college, Parker Stevens, who runs this company called BI Elite, which puts out excellent training courses for B, for Microsoft Power BI. He's going to run a tutorial on how to link to that database, the data set that we just created in night one, and actually create a full Microsoft Power BI dashboard, visualize all of the data, and then run some analytics on top of it. It's going to be a very, very hard or it's going to be a very hard programming skill you're going to learn something this is not a meetup group where we're just going to talk high level so if you want to register for that that's interesting it's april 8th and 9th 6 to 7 30 p.m that's mountain standard time you can register and check out corporate data learning series.com if you're interested all right diving into more of this s p global um, article. And this was actually written by someone I went to college with, Andrew Cooper. I'll give him a shout out here. And this is an S&P Global uh, article that was posted March 25th. Actually, I referenced it yesterday on my Week Ahead podcast. And really what it talks about is some of the break-even prices on all of these ducks in North Dakota. And, and you know, one of the things that I think, you know, not a lot of people have talked about and, you know, uh, you know I, 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 I pride myself on having sort of a pulse on what's going on in the industry. And, you know, while I see some people talking about it, I, I really haven't seen much people talking about the number of ducks that are going to be still sitting on the market. I mean, right now, according to the EIA, there's around 7,700 drill and uncompleted wells right now. And, you know, really that's a, that's a huge number. And, you know, the first you know thing before we get into it is I want to bring Stu in because when we were kind of going over the overview of this, he brought up a really good point and that's that, there's really a difference between what is classified as a duck well and what isn't. And there's huge financial capabilities. There. So I kind of want to, you know, bring us in and can you kind of walk people through what the difference is and, and your knowledge on that? Um, oh, you bet. And some of the key things is everybody calls a duck something different. And in the North, they just call it something that quacks. Now in the Texas and in the oil field, ducks is actually, you know, uh, drilled, but uncompleted. And uh, when you're evaluating a well and you're going through valuations, they're in all different kinds of states. There is no one level of a duck. Is it ready to just pull up and start fracking? Is it got mm -hmm. a cap on it? So uh, it really is kind of hard to say. Yes, we may have uh, 852 ducks or we may have, Michael, was it 420-ish in uh, in North Dakota? Yeah. So what he did was, so yeah, this brings up a good point and then I'll let you finish. So the EIA, if you look at the Bakken, they'll tell you they have 852 ducks, but in the article he references, there's about 420 drilled but uncompleted wells, but he makes sure to mention, and this is where we got into it, was eliminating older vintage ducks that are very ever actually unlikely to be completed. So is that kind of a big part that there are a lot of wells that they drill and they ever just, they just never complete and end up shutting in completely? Oh yeah, and and part of the the ducks are 
um, back several years ago, they were filling in and just running in a rig in order to save that lease when the prices were. Okay. And so they would run a rig out there, and if the the uh, if there was nothing drilled, they lose the lease. And so the pricing and the economics, it was cheaper for them to run a rig in, cap it, and then run off. And that means they got to keep that lease. Yeah, guy, that's something to do with the minerals. You had you had so many you had so many days or months to exercise the minerals. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a really good point. Thank you for that. And um, so when you take a look at the duck, and then you take away the takeaway. There's so many of them that don't even have pipe yeah. by or anything. So uh, anyway, thank you for, for all that. That's yeah, no. And, and, and so, so whether or not it's, it's 850 or I, I, I'm personally going to use this. I love the 420 number because I'm all about taking into account what's actually going on. And if there's 400 wells that they're never going to complete, I would, let's get rid of them. I'm all about cleaning the data. So I like this 420 number. And really what he did was he assumed that there was a sunk cost of about 25, it's about 25% less to go ahead and turn on a well that has already been drilled, but not completed. So if you think of completion costs are running about 20 or about 75% of the cost of wells in the bucket. That's an unbelievable number. When you think about the difference between to drill complete, it's a you know, it cost X amount, but completion is 75% of that chunk because it only saves you 25% to already Already have the duck. That was what I found most fascinating in this article, and we'll definitely link it to the thing. I don't know if you, you know, you know. Again, I just love when I find these very interesting numbers. What it looks like, but that, that shocked me as somebody who um, it is going to be shocked me. And, and the other thing he mentioned, which is perfect, is that there's 33% of those ducks. So you know, if we talk that's around you know 120, they sit in. He it sits within McKenzie County, which it by far produces the most efficient, most the most efficient wells in terms of production per completions in all of the bucket. And the numbers he used was an average well turned on in that county was about 800 barrels a day. And at that thing, guess what number it breaks even at, Stu? Can you give me a guess? Did you see? I'm, I'm going to cheat, but 39 $39. That's to break even at a well on an average IP of 800 barrels a day. Oils, as we speak, is trading at 2318. That's and, a long way away. And, and, and Michael, we are a for-profit uh, industry. You can't sell it at cost. Exactly. And so and really that's the biggest thing. And, you know, currently Continental Whiting and Exxon hold about 37% of all North Dakota ducks. And they've got a really interesting decision as Andrew points out on what to do. Are they going to bring these wells online in 2020 or are they going to defer and wait to see if some of these crude prices can, can brock back? It's, it's, it'll be really interesting and I'll definitely make sure in the comments to link this article because there's a really cool graph um, that he talks about. You can kind of look at over the years, um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of S&P Global Analytics. They do really good stuff um, and they do really good stuff. Um, and that is kind of all I wanted to chat about that. And I kind of, we just want to move in to our third segment, which is our one company to watch. And today we're going to highlight Silverboat Resources, ticker ESPO. I was mentioning to Stu and the thing, I, I just love a company that you can say they're ticker and it's just got a ring to it, ESPO. There's nothing better. It's, 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 it's nothing more than it just sounds cool. It, I just love it. Uh, but you know, the, the, you and I talked about on the opening week, uh, management, I just absolutely love the management at Silver Bow. Uh, Sean, the CEO, is absolutely top-notch. And as you go through these numbers, uh, Michael, you pointed out that um, good numbers mean, you know, have a really lot to uh, 
rely on the management. Management makes good management makes good numbers. So point them out. Yeah, and if you're making money in this environment, specifically year over year, I don't care if your numbers are down year over year. Everyone's numbers are down, so you can't look at that. You have to look at are you are you making or are you not making money. And these guys, they're making money. I mean, they're caught. Their you know their net profit margin is eight point nine percent. That's profit margin. That's good considering in the market when you look at a lot of these top shale companies specifically because they're out of the Eagleford. They're specifically looking at unlocking in you know their, their revenue sixty nine million, which is pretty good. It's down twenty percent year over year, which honestly, that's not horrible in terms of revenue. You look at some of these large large cap companies. It's disgusting some of their year to year revenue drops and specifically what they make on some of their hedging and you know these guys again they don't do three way collars. We'll get into that, but thank goodness they don't. They have a really nice diluted EPS fifty three cents. Their net profit margin, like I mentioned, is about nine percent, and they are, and they have an, an operating income of about thirteen point two seven million. So for a small cap company, you know they have cash on hand. You know really what they and and, and one one of the things I want to point out is they have a really strong liquidity position. They got 122 million. They can go be leveraged and they have no near term debt that needs to mature. So even the fact that well, they only have a million cash on hand. Yes, but there's no, there, there's no upcoming bills due. There are no bills coming up. They've got no debt maturing, which is really good. The other thing that I really like to do is look at their hedging summary. And I pulled it up right now. And this is something that's awesome. First, they don't do three-way callers. So yay, we can... Good for them. They don't do three-way. It's a horrible way to manage your hedging, and, and I'm glad they don't do it. They're, they are biased towards just two-way college and swaps, which I like. For 2020, their full-year coverage is 56%, which is above what most companies were doing. Most companies were 15 to 20%, especially with the outlook early last year that there was going to be higher oil price. That's a good number to see, especially in this low oil price environment. 56% hedge, their average head price. I'm looking at their chart. It ranges from 58 to 52 on the oil side, $2 all the way up to 280 depending on when you're looking at the floor for what quarter 20 you know throughout 2020 and 21 but really 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 good numbers i love their hedge volume i think this is a company you can pick them up fairly cheap right now and this i think is someone you know if you want to talk about you know there are going to be oil companies that come out of this the, the industry is not going away companies will survive some will go away but some will survive and i think this is a company that is here for the long haul you know Stu mentioned great management it's reflected in the numbers i love the way they're hedged for the next two years and i you know i would be buying all of this if possible so i don't know if you have anything else to say but i'm a fan of these guys uh hedging is is really after uh anybody that's hedged right now is what you have to look at on their financials because uh, money to hedge right now you will not find for next year Nope. So if they're hedged for two years, that is just gigantic. It's you know, it's it's un, it's unbelievable. I I love it. You know, as someone who who tries to pitch hedging, yeah, we're not getting any new clients anytime soon. I'll tell you that much. But uh, for the people who are already on the client deck, it's uh, they're in the, you know they, they're looking okay. But yeah, these guys are in a great position. Um, Espo, their ticker is you know it's Silverbow Resources. Um, let me make sure I get that right. Yes, Silverbow Resources, Inc., Espo. Again, I just love the clean boom. I love it. So, well, I think that's everything. I don't know if you have anything else that we need to get to, Stu. We're going to keep this pretty light. Um, you know, I've got, you know, we've got a lot of content coming. We'll, have, uh, we'll, we'll be back at you in your inbox on Monday. We'll get you the week ahead podcast. There's some interesting, we'll look at the commitment of traders and some of the other stuff that we sort of left out here. Um, but if you don't have anything else, Stu, I'm going to go ahead and let them have for a shout out. What's up? Who's your good shout out for today? My good shout out. I, this is, you're catching me off guard here. I don't know. I, I, in terms of what I, we just, we just spent a lot of time talking about Silverbow. 
don't know. I mean, any, anybody in the U.S., who do you think is a good guy today? Who do I think is a good guy? Well, we just interviewed a, a really good guest this morning, Anthony McDaniels from Rare Petro, and I thought there was some really interesting insights, and that's a video that I want people to check out whenever it drops sometime next week. You know, really why I liked interviewing him was, was for one reason. One, he's just an interesting cat. And I love the way his mind works. But second, he started his consulting company because he got laid off in 2015 in low oil price. And I think there's – not that necessarily I think people need to be go – and starting their own consulting practices if they get laid off, but but somebody who turned a negative into a positive and was able to get through this, and I think you, you know, I think a lot of people who could be going through this could benefit from that. So so in terms of shout out, we'll go there because I just it's, it's on my mind. He is a top notch cat, uh, and I'll tell you what, I really am going to buy his book as soon as he writes it. So yeah, my, we'll have we'll get him on it. Your show, thanks. No problem. And with that, we're going to let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 digital closing bell this morning. Check out the digital ticker you'll see in your inbox later today. And with that, we will see you guys next week.